0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation
1: aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
0: On this week's episode, we continue our discussion with the president of YSA Sydney, Mitchell Murphy, about his very experiences in the realms of education, and we use that as a launching point for several stories, including a discussion on the use of prescription drugs to actually helping people improve their study abilities along with the way we can build mini-brains down by studying get insights into the real thing.
1: Things that I know of whatnot. Because my girlfriend's a psych yeah. And so when we have big science discussions and whatnot, she can talk from anything from like personality traits and how personality tests are like the worst thing ever invented, yeah. To the fact that she's done neuropsych for so long, and to be honest, even them, like the greatest neuropsychs have still no, have idea. no idea. And it's so hard to do tests for because
0: basically you're relying on case studies. Of like, traumatic circumstances, and you know, it's not like you
1: can go and create them. No, and the other thing is like these case studies aren't perfect to begin with, anyway. <laughs> no, no, exactly, because it's not like done yeah, in a in yeah. a controlled fashion. It's just nothing happened. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about, about this person. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's weird. So yeah, it's really frustrating, <laughs> yeah. but it's super super engaging. Like when we have discussions all the time about it, um, even down to like disability and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it actually constitutes because it's a sliding scale and we actually it's a spectrum that's yeah a and problem. so that's a, that's a huge problem as well
0: and that would relate a lot to imagine in the education space
1: oh well exactly that's definitely like a, a big thing for me so what's the difference between ADD ADHD and then someone who's just active in class yes and the funny thing with ADD and HD, uh, ADHD is that different circumstances can actually make that worse let alone diet diet is another massive one mm. where students actually control their ADHD through majority of their of their dietary intake mm. um I have two students in class that my girlfriend is just amazed by because I say that, like, I've been notified they have ADHD and I've never noticed it. Mm. And she goes, oh, they must be on, like, the the, the right medication and stuff. And I said, look, I'm I'm probably sure it's actually the case, but according to the mum, they haven't been on medication for about two years. But she started doing massive dietary requirement, like tables and journals, and she has just gotten... Like, they're having, like, avocado sandwiches with, like, bits of paprika and... They just all, a, all calibrated yeah. out to yeah to, of to, point to point. each of them yeah. and to, to yeah. the fact that it now fits them so well that yeah and she said that like more than anything like that's helped them mm. but then I also have other cases where like even like, like, friends my age will take their ritalin just before exams when they get the most out of it because it makes like they find that the ritalin doesn't make them feel like themselves anymore
0: so what oh, are you doing that yeah what are do you doing that
1: regard yeah, yeah, yeah. and ritalin is such a scary drug too. Ritalin's what, yeah, not class A, it's plus two.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a controlled substance.
1: Yeah, and so, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 like the thing with over-diagnosing, like yeah. over medicating this like that as well, the so people who take it haven't gone through those testing procedures to get the correct, correct dosage, so yeah. they're just taking whatever they can find. And that in itself causes problems, because it can actually mess up people's like brain chemistry anyway. Mm. So it becomes reliable of, or the fact is that they then develop ADHD syndra- um, symptoms.
0: In exam season, everyone's under the pump. Everyone feels under pressure to perform and is trying to do their their best. And in such stressful circumstances, people look for all kinds of innovative solutions to their problems. Whether that be locking themselves in the library for hours on end, banning themselves or deactivating their accounts on social media. Or or other things including supplying themselves with caffeine or using scent-based memory recall techniques about eating food or different types of fruit to help them store memories. Everyone has their own ideas about what might help them. But one of the more recent trends, particularly in universities and colleges in the United States, have been to use medication designed to treat attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, to help them focus in exams. Now, this has been a problem that's been reported on, that's been growing for a number of years in the United States. And people have reported on this. Many, many studies have been conducted. Even the Clinton Foundation has published reports on this. And looking at a recent study out of the University of South Carolina, which was published in the Clinical Child and Family Psychology Review, it's found that analysing a whole bunch of recent work, over 100 papers they were looked at and selected out, 30 key ones, they identified that stimulant medication misuse was around 17% of all college students. Now, of course, you know, this may be an underestimation, given that all of these are requiring surveys for people to actually say, yes, I am using it. And uh, that's still a very high number, even if it is underreported. So w- why? Why are people going to these lengths? And wh- what is it doing for the brains? And this is actually quite interesting, mostly because in the United States, Adderall and Ritalin, the two most common brand name um adhd treatment devices or drugs are actually scheduled to narcotics such as the equivalent to methamphetamines according to u.s drug law and that means that you know if you're dealing or buying or selling this it's a quite a serious offense and it and we do this because the government has recognized in the united states that these are significant drugs that can have a substantive impact on people And that's why they're controlled substances. They're not meant for general use. It's not like a vitamin C tablet, which may or may not do anything for you. These definitely do something to your brain and they should be used and haven't really been studied and intended for use outside their designated application, which is to help people with a neurological condition. Now, why people are taking these is that they're actually finding themselves being pressured to perform. And... And research has found that uh, there's actually a higher trend for this, the usage of these of these medications at selective schools select the, some of the highest and most prestigious um, United States colleges actually having the higher usage rates of these and that is really really quite alarming when you think about what that's actually um, what that's actually doing now there's a number of reasons why these drugs are so widely available on the market and we're not going to get into that um, but they are widely accessible to college students, and most people are finding, including some recent research conducted and published, published by the National Institute of Health, they're actually finding that 55% of college students uh, in fraternities are actually using these uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And like performance-enhancing drugs of a number of other kinds in different sports, we're actually seeing once one person starts using it, it pushes the others just to compete to keep up by doing the same thing. And once they're they're actually using it, more and more research is indicating that it's actually becoming quite hard for people to stop that. This has been popularised, for want of a better word, with the idea in the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper, which is now actually also a TV show. Uh, In this TV show and in this movie, a gentleman has this drug which has been developed by a large pharmaceutical company that enhances his mind unleashes the rest of the 90% of his brain that's all bunk and rubbish but the idea the principle of what they're doing is effectively giving a drug that makes you super smart smarter than you could possibly be otherwise making you see things and focus on things that you wouldn't otherwise have even thought about and effectively other people are actually doing the same thing uh with these drugs so they're obviously not having magical superpower effects on people's brains but they're believing that is improving their focus and actually They're keeping using it into the workforce. Now, in the movie Limitless, the gentleman himself is actually working in high stakes finance and deals and shenanigans in New York. But actually, that's not that far off from the reality of most misuse of Adderall. For example, um, there's actually pretty much equal numbers of use in college and also outside of college. So, aged is 23 to 35 before it really drops off. So, what that's suggesting is that people in these high-powered professions are actually using... Um, these thing, these drugs, getting used to the the enhanced abilities before you know, eventually dropping off in that, um, and you know, the fourteen percent, seventeen percent rates during college, and the you know, ten ten to fourteen percent rates after, in, in early career stages of your of your careers, people are actually seeing this using almost similar levels, and what that is suggesting is much in the same way that people are competitive about places in a course, and scores, and GPAs, and marks that they're actually doing the same thing uh, in the workplace, trying to get ahead of their competitors in a very competitive job market and then struggling to try and keep that position once they got there and much in the same way that the world capitalised on our addiction to caffeine with energy drinks and all the marketing that goes on to college students for that recent innovators or entrepreneurs have started selling nootropics, the Greek word noose for mind, which are basically chemical supplements that claim to improve cognitive function, alertness, and strengthen memory and recall. So, you know, often these are made by DIY neurobiologists to you know, peddle their, peddle their snake oil effectively to the wealthy who, who want it. And this is kind of based on the similar experience to actually known um, powerful Schedule 2. They're trying to make synthetic versions of that that are, you know, less illegal, certainly, um, but also uh, the effects are less proven. And, you know, these are quite successful companies. There are several major companies based out of San Francisco pitching to Silicon Valley's young, hip, young employees. So these big companies like Google and Facebook. But there's also a wide use spread across the nation. And and what is quite, um, aside from throwing in caffeine uh, in, in there, there's also a whole bunch of other sort of supplements as well as trying to mimic the impact of Adderall. Now, a lot of this is really the Wild West of <laughs> pharmacology, in such that there's no real hard evidence for this, there's no real studies, and there's no real government regulation. And all that means that the long term impacts and the safety for people actually taking this is not at all known or guaranteed. And so that's why, you know, we I really must recommend that you don't do this simply because the long term impacts cannot be known. You know, And even, though, even if that's the case, the even positive benefits aren't even there necessarily, much in the same way that your healthcare provider and a number of other people will try and sell you on the benefits of vitamins and supplements. The reality is that they don't do a lot for you unless you're in a really specific set of circumstances. And a lot of the time, they don't even contain what they claim to contain or have the effect that they claim to have. And you know, there's been a number of studies on homeopathy that have shown that. We're not going to get into that here, but suffice to say is that some of these aren't actually even doing anything more than just the cu- same as a cup of coffee, you're paying an exorbitant price for that luxury. Others, uh, the impacts can be actually a bit more dangerous and deadly. But even then, all they're actually necessarily doing is not enhancing your brain's capacity, but just increasing your alertness in the similar way that a caffeine will do so. They're not unlocking secret aspects of your brain and giving you some mind-bending powers like they see in Limiters. It's really just making you concentrate more. And these effects can be achieved without pharmacological intervention, which is probably certainly more safe. And generally... That means that the only really guaranteed way to ensure that you're studying and achieving at your best is making sure that your body is functioning at its best, which means that it's rested, which means that it's looked after in a way with with a diet that is sufficient for what you need, and as well as a way to making sure that your mind and state is actually functioning in a way it's designed to, not necessarily some attempt to enhance it. And if you do that with the right hours and the right time, You can actually find yourself achieving a lot more, or just the same, as under the influence of any of these performance, at least allegedly, enhancing drugs, which at the same time haven't been actually proven to do any enhancing without also any negative side effects. Bear that in mind next time you're coming up with your secret study plan to make sure you give these pharmacological aids a miss, because most of the time they're just snake oil and they aren't actually going to help you out one bit. Studying a brain is not easy. Obviously, we all need our brains to function, which means taking a look inside of them whilst they're still working is very, very difficult. It's like trying to, you know, open up an engine during combustion process. It doesn't really work and you you basically can ruin the whole thing. And with human minds at stake here, we really cannot actually easily study living brains. So what is a neuroscientist to do? Well, recently, neuroscientists have been using the organoid approach. Um, over the past few years to actually create miniature versions of body's organs or key parts of organs and growing them in small ways inside labs. Now, the organoid approach has been done for many years now in flat forms, but new researchers at a particular at Stanford University um, have been taking this approach and actually creating roundish, small white balls of brain. So they, they basically look like smallish brains, but they're not obviously a full brain. They're just pieces or segments of a brain. And why this is really, truly fantastic is because now dozens of labs across the world can build these mini-brains and actually study different parts of the brain's response, behavior, and operation. Now, please, these are not fully operational brains. They're not growing brains in vats in labs. So cast that idea out of your mind. These are just pieces of brain, small sections, that enable us to study and understand what is going on in parts of the brain still studying the whole thing as a collective is a myriad difficult task but these mini brains can certainly help us out so how does one exactly grow a brain yes okay they use the organoid approach but what is that and how does that work now a lot of these researchers are drawing on some recent work that won a nobel prize for medicine in 2012 and this basically the discovery is that, you know, obviously all cells contain the same lineup of DNA. What makes one cell, like a skin cell, different from a brain cell is what genes were turned on and when during the development process. This method, which was awarded the Nobel Prize in 2012, is around turning skin cells back into these blank slate cells, a type of stem cell called an iPS cell. And then these IPS cells can later be turned into any cell of the body as they respond to nudges from chemical cues that they're exposed to. So they've been using this kind of approach to make flat on flat surfaces of lab dishes, but now using a small wrinkle, they're actually able to grow them into three-dimensional clumps instead. And really, they actually start to organize themselves into that shape as long as you give them that nudge and that scaffold to work off. Now, normally a cell, when it's growing, actually gets a lot of cues, not just from chemicals around it, but also from the surrounding tissue and other, and other parts of the brain. And obviously, when there's many, many brain cells, they're actually missing a lot of that. So whilst, they are, whilst you have them up to 400 little mini brains floating around in a dish, they're not actually interacting with each other and supporting each other in the way that a normal brain does, which means, obviously, that these studies have a limited set of application. But that being said they're still a lot better than the alternative, which is really nothing at all. Sometimes these, uh, these mini-brains in the dish can link themselves in abnormal ways, and ways that would never really occur and don't really make a lot of sense. Uh, a researcher describes it as uh, being similar to an airplane that's constructed with a wing on top, a propeller on the back and a cockpit on the bottom, with a wheel hanging off the side. It can't actually fly, but it's you know, piecing itself together in some way. It does actually help us learn a lot about these separate components. Now, researchers from Yale University have actually grown brains that were made out of cerebral cortex from the DNA with people with autism. And what they actually found here is that a particular kind of brain cell is overproduced, and this is linked to an overactivity of a single gene. Now, it's not necessarily clear that that is what's related to autism, but it's a way to actually study and understand how people with different neurological conditions are actually impacted uh, and shown in their actual brain physiology. Which is really quite fascinating. Now, as I mentioned before, there aren't really much alternatives to using this method. We can study with mouse brains, which has often been the way we've studied such things in the past. But obviously, there is a lot of difference really between a mouse brain and a human brain. Some conditions and some st- and associations that we see in one are really not carried over to the other. Which is why this new method of organids, growing organoids, brain cells in particular. Has enabled us to grow in a new way, different kinds of brain cells, and really push the field of neuroscience forward, and help us actually get an understanding of what is going on inside our heads, without, of course, requiring opening the hood. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, The Green This week we found out about the way that prescription drugs are being misused to help improve brain power, but not really actually having any net benefits for anyone, as well as how we can build mini brains to help us study the actual brain in practice. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.